Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. I'm your host, Steve Kramer. Thanks for joining us today. And on this episode, official Chip Clark, certified high school and college official. You may have heard him from the United Basketball and Leadership podcast. He was on a previous episode talking about some of the misconceptions of the, the rule book, the game of basketball. And today we take a deep dive into traveling specifically. We talk about what is actually in the rule book. And once we can get a better understanding of that and the terminology to use, we can set our players up for success. Again, thanks for listening to this episode. If you find it beneficial, be sure to share it out. Let's get to it. But before that, a quick word. like to welcome official Chip Clark back to the Coach's Edge podcast. Chip, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, Steve, it is so good to be back, man. Thank you for – I can't believe after the first time you had me on, you wanted to have me back again. But uh, I am glad you asked me back, man. It is going to be a fun night. How's the family doing? The family's doing well. We're getting ready for the – the virtual school year. So I'm, I'm, I'm busy trying to run a business and, you know, be a somewhat virtual assistant teacher. Um, but we will, we will make it happen. And um, I've been there. You know, I've been there, man, with my 11 year old son at the end of, uh, of last school year, for sure. That's uh, no easy tasks. Yeah. Yep. So it's hard, hard work, but a uh, good chance to talk some, some hoops today. And you're the, you're the first guest that we've had on that's been on multiple times that hasn't been one of our Coach's Edge uh, contributors to our, our new website that's that's coming out. So you're the very first one that we've had on twice besides those members. So uh, quite a achievement for, uh, you know, the, the official world. But, you know, one of the reasons that I asked you to, to come back on again was, I mean, the, the travel police are out in full force right now regarding, you know, there's so many videos. It's so easy to post video of, of workouts and game film and slow down and replay. And I was like, why don't we just come on and again, have you talk about the rules of the game, but simply focus just on traveling violations. So I'm, I'm pumped to, to fire these questions away at you. Dude, it's going to be great. Deep dive into the traveling, traveling violation is going to be, it's going to be a fantastic conversation. And you are absolutely right. Um, the, the amount of content that's posted these days on social media, and you know, I'm very active on Twitter. I could do better on Instagram, but I'm, I'm very active on Twitter. And, you know, if you've been a part of the uh, of basketball Twitter for long and you've gone down that rabbit hole, there is a, uh, there's a ton of content, but there's a ton of social media refs that are out in full force. And, uh, and that's great. I'd love people commenting on plays. Um, and one of the things that I try to do in my engagement on Twitter, especially in social media in general, is just to provide the rules based answer to a lot of these questions, you know, the big crazes like travel or nah, you know, like, uh, you know, people ask that all the time when they post these videos, I just want to be able to try to, to provide some insight for, for coaches, because, you know, I'm, I'm big in the coaches community. Like, I've got a lot of relationship with coaches through our clinics and stuff like that. And so, uh, actually, I don't, I don't have a lot of refs that follow me on Twitter. I, it's mostly coaches. So, being able to provide some insight to coaches, um, and then specifically on the traveling violation, is going to be great to do here tonight. And all I try to do on Twitter is just provide insight on what the rule has to say about a specific play. And if it's a travel, let's, let's explore why it's a travel by rule. And uh, I always say it all the time is the more you know, the more you grow. 
And so maybe some, somebody is going to be able to learn something tonight. My hope is they can learn something where maybe they thought a move was illegal um, or it gets called often or something like that. And so they don't teach it. And maybe somebody can think, you know, hey, maybe I don't want to teach that rule. I just want to avoid it altogether. But I know I have the possibility now because of the rule and what it allows um, to be able to teach things that maybe I didn't teach in the past. So I'm looking Absolutely. forward to tonight's deep, deep dive. And one of the one of the reasons that I think we make a good fit on this is because as a as an official, it's what is in the rule book, and it's your job to make sure that both teams and both coaches are abiding by the rules during a basketball game. Whereas a as a guy like myself, who's been a high school coach and is a program development guy, working with different programs, it's not so much my concern, to be honest with you, of what's in the rule book. And I don't say that lightly. Like, of, of course, right. we all need to know the rules. But as my grandpa told me, who was a longtime high school coach, he basically said, you don't play by the rules, you play by what is called. And this That's isn't a, enough. this isn't a, if you aren't cheating, you aren't trying mindset right. at, at all. It's nothing, it's nothing like that. It's just, there's, there's games where you go and it's like, man, it's, it's a pretty physical game. That was a foul on Tuesday. And now I'm able to, to do that. Or somebody's doing that to me on, on Friday. And it can be that way with traveling violations at times as well. And I know that's not the goal of an official. Like we have the same standards. You're a high school and a, a college official. Um, but being able to come at it from those two different sides in this, episode I think is is really beneficial so I'm going to start out if you're good to go with with the first question getting real specific let's rock and roll man let's talk yeah. ball so I've often heard that the steps don't start until you put two hands on the basketball and I've even seen that comment on Twitter was that would have been legal but you know you can't put two hands on the basketball at that specific time you term it a little bit differently so can you talk about the emphasis of, you know, what, what, what does two hands on the basketball mean or how do you term it in the rule book to differentiate a travel or not? Yeah, absolutely. And can I start off with clarifying one thing on that question? Um, you asked, you framed it um, at the start by using the word steps. All right. Um, now, if there's one thing, one piece of knowledge I can impart on the traveling rule to any coach that's listening in high school or college, it would be this. Steps do not exist in our traveling rule um, for the purpose of determining a travel. In fact, in NFHS rulebook and the NCAA men's and women's rulebook, which are, by the way, those two rule sets, men's and women's NCAA, are identical on the travel rule. Word for word, identical. Um, comma for comma, even. <laughs> so, um, so those, the word step, is only in the traveling rule. It's only mentioned once in NFHS and once in the college rules, okay? But it is not used to help you determine the travel. It is only helped, it is only used to help you determine the pivot foot. The pivot foot is what we use to determine whether a traveling violation has been committed or not. So I wanted to lead it off by that because the more, I mean, everybody's watching the NBA now, the playoffs, and when they hear rules explained, they run it through that filter a lot of times. You know what I mean? Um, whether it's FIBA rules or whether it's NBA or WNBA rules, which the WNBA is going on and getting ready to start their playoffs now here in a week. 
um, they run it through those rules and steps are used in those rules, the word step. Um, but the word step is not used to determine a travel, or it's not used in the traveling rule in NFHS or college. So I wanted to get that out of the way first. It's all about the pivot foot and what you're allowed to do with the pivot foot once you've established it, okay? Um, that's how we determine a traveling violation. Now, to get back to your, your original question on, this is what I'll term end of the dribble, okay? So we term at the end of the dribble, you know, you were talking about catching the ball with two hands or the gather is often used. We use the word catch in our high school rule book and college rule book, okay? And so for those, for those of you out there, I'm going to, when I talk about these specific rules tonight, I'm actually going to give you the NFHS, because a lot of the listeners may be high school coaches, um, I'm going to give you the NFHS rules um, citations so that if you guys want to go back and read it for yourself, you're more than welcome to. Um, but for the purpose of this question, let's go ahead and go to the dribble rule, which the best rule in the whole rule book and the, the one that's going to provide the most insight is rule number four, definitions. Okay, um, if you go in that, you could spend, you could spend days in there. Uh, just looking at stuff, but this is going to be rule 415 called dribble. All right. So um, during, a, we're going to talk about the dribble ending. Some people call it the gather that's used in NBA for the purposes of the gather step, right? What they call the gather step or FIBA calls the zero step. We don't have steps in our rule book, remember, in the traveling rules. So um, we're going to call it the end of the dribble. All right. And here I'm going to read directly from rule 415. Um, on dribble, uh, and it's going to be Article 4, when the dribble ends. The dribbler catches or causes the ball to come to rest in one or both hands. The dribble is ended. Okay. Um, if the dribbler palms or carries the ball by allowing it to come to rest in one or both hands, the dribble is ended. C is the dribble, dribbler uh, simultaneously touches the ball with both hands. So that would be the two-hand touch on that one, right? So if the ball, two hands touch the ball, dribble is ended. Um, or if the ball touches or is touched by an opponent and causes the dribble to lose control, that's an interrupted dribble, and, uh, or if the ball becomes dead. So those are, the, those are the ways that the dribble ends. Notice that it says at the start of that, a dribble ends when the ball comes to rest in one or both hands. It doesn't have to be both hands to end the dribble. That's the most common ending of a dribble that you see on finishing moves, <clears throat> but sometimes the dribble has been terminated before they touch it with two hands. That's very important because when you're teaching finishing moves to people, and you and I have talked about this offline quite a bit, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the biggest things to me is that is mind boggling, is coaches spend a, a, a lot of time when teaching finishing moves to players or in training, um, they spend a lot of time focusing on the footwork of said finishing move, whether it's the step through, the step back, and we're gonna get into some of these later, the spin move, the Euro step, whatever the case may be, they spend a lot of time focusing on the footwork. But the footwork is null and void if you don't end your dribble correctly. All right? It's worthless. The most important part of any finishing move by a dribbler is when they end their dribble. Because if you end your dribble with one foot on the floor, as we're going to, be, we're going to get into shortly, then you're limited in what you're able to do from there. However, if you, if you end your dribble with both feet off the floor, then your possibilities are maximized on what you can do after that. There's a lot more leeway in the traveling rule for somebody who ends their dribble with both feet off the floor versus somebody who ends their dribble with one feet on the floor. So, so to recap, dribble ends when the dribbler catches 
or causes the ball to come to rest in one or both hands, when the dribbler palms or carries the ball by allowing it to come to rest in one or both hands, and when the dribbler simultaneously touches the ball with both hands. Those are the three that are the main ones you need to take away from that. That's great information because I think as coaches, we talk about the finishing footwork, which you mentioned, um, and we talk about, or hear a lot of talk, coaches talk about, you know, when you, the pickup, when was the pickup of the ball? And often we confuse the pickup with what you're talking about is the gather or the lift of the ball. It doesn't have to be with two hands. And I think when we're looking at a pro hop move, for example, or a spin move, for example, oftentimes players need to be pretty careful that they're not lifting the ball with the one hand and then going into their finishing footwork. They've ended their dribble, then they get into, I want to call it steps. I know I can't call it steps, right? But the, then okay. they get into their pivot, their pivot options. And it, it's quite possible that they had traveled even before they'd gotten into whatever step to remove that they, they would have tried to do in a game. So that's, that's great stuff. Um, we're going to get back to, to some of those kind of more complex, specific situations. But we had a couple coaches fire some questions at us that I really appreciate. And one was, when a, this is common, when a person has fallen to the floor with a basketball. And we, we, we saw a video that we were going back and forth about this recently. But can you share with us the rules on traveling once a person has gone to the floor or fallen with the ball? Yeah, absolutely. And so coaches, as I mentioned and, and told you I would, um, here's the citation for the rule in the NFHS rule book. It's going to be rule 444 on traveling. And for this rule, we're going to go to the last article in the traveling rule. So it's going to be rule 444, article 5. Okay. And so there's, um, there's two sections in this article, A and B. Um, it is important to note that A addresses um, when you're, when a player is holding the ball, and then they fall to the floor, which is the question that, that you asked, Steve. Here's what the rule has to say about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. A player holding the ball may not touch the floor with the knee or any other part of their body other than the hand or the foot. All right. So the hand or the foot is allowed to touch the floor when you are holding the ball, when you're possession of the ball and you have player control. All right. Your, your hand or your foot is allowed to touch the floor. If anything else, your elbow, your hip, your knee, your side, anything, your shoulder for some reason, you know, touches the floor while you are holding the ball. You have fallen to the floor while holding the ball. And, and based on rule 444.5A, you have committed a traveling violation. Um, the, other, the other part of that rule in 444.5 is B, which would be after gaining control while you're already on the floor. All right, so let's address that real quick if we can, Steve. So you gain control, you're already on the floor and you gain control of the ball. All it says on this rule is that if you gain control while you're already on the floor and touching with other than the hand or the foot, you may not attempt to get up or stand. All right. So some people would say there's some subject subjectivity involved in the interpretation of this rule. And believe me, there has been plays that have made me question what I would rule. Uh, for instance, I saw, I saw, a, I can't remember what state it was from. But I saw a video clip the other day, maybe a month ago, uh, where a girl was, it was in a state playoff game, right? And the girl was on the floor and she was on her side, her right side, Steve, and she had control of the ball, all right? So she, she obtained control of the ball while she was on the floor. 
she was on her side, her right side, but not all the way, all right, and just kind of moved over to the left a little bit in a seated position. She didn't try to get up or stand at all. And she threw the ball from her rear end and shot, it was around the free throw line area and made the basket <laughs> and it counted. Nice, and yeah, I, I think I've seen that clip. I have to say, you know, I would, I would have probably ruled that a legal basketball play as well. She didn't try to get up or stand. Um, and, and so that was, that's one of those things where now if the player's on their, their belly, uh, when they gain control of the ball and they try to roll over, then that's going to be a traveling violation. Um, you know, there's certain situations where you're trying to gain an advantage by, you know, rolling over or anything like that. That's going to be a, a travel. Um, but you're not allowed to get up or stand. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what the rule has to say about both of those. When you, when, you get, when you have the ball and you fall to the floor in possession of the ball, and then the other one was in regards to gaining control on the floor. So we covered both of, both of those. And I'm assuming that if I dive onto the floor for the basketball, if I don't get all the way up, but even if I get up to a knee, that's also a travel? So you're saying if you, yeah, if you, if you attempt to get up or stand at all, then okay. as soon as even if I'm not standing yeah. all the way up, but even if I put it absolutely, knee down, okay, right. absolutely. If you put an elbow down, or if you put any of those aforementioned body parts that I mentioned in the first rule on the floor to try to push yourself up, then that you've committed a traveling violation because that's by rule is attempting to get up or stand. We often hear the term they shuffled their feet, or if we want to go way back to when I was in junior high, up and down. Oh, he went up. He went up and down. Those, those terms. Why are those such dangerous terms to use when it comes to verifying a travel? Okay, I'm going to get you to clarify in a second what you mean by shuffling the feet. But before I do, I can answer the question, um, oddly enough. <laughs> um, the reason we need to guard against those type words, and this is coming from a ref, is because they're not in the rule book. All right? Um, what, it's, you can call it a pet peeve if you want. Uh, but I think one of the biggest things that, that kind of gets under my skin sometimes is the use of rules or use of terminology and verbiage that is not found in our rule book. It doesn't get on, get on my nerves for the purpose of, or for the reason of them just giving, you know, throwing these words out that are common, you know, terms that people use. It gets under my skin for the damage it could do to somebody com correctly understanding the, the rule. Um, and so, you know, I've mentioned some today on, on Twitter that, you know, over and back when they're talking about backcourt violation. I know we're not talking about that tonight, but, you know, when people yell in the stand, you hear it every game, over and back, you know, well, a player who's dribbling from backcourt to frontcourt can, you know, they could go over and back, so to speak, and still not commit a backcourt violation, you know, because of what we talked about on your last podcast episode, you know, all three points of contact have to be in the frontcourt completely, you know, entirely is the verbiage, you know, ball and both feet. So if that doesn't happen, they could they could legally you know step in the front court as long as the ball doesn't touch in the front court and then step back. And so that's just an example of terminology that's used that that can leave it open for interpretation for other people. Um, another one is switch the pivot foot. This directly deals with traveling. You know, switch the pivot foot. A lot of people interpret that to mean, which by the way we're going to probably get into it later, but switch the pivot foot is not found anywhere in our rule book. You know. Uh, but but when somebody says switch the pivot foot, it leaves it open it open for interpretation for all these different interpretations. And as I'm going to mention in my my case play quiz tonight on Twitter, 
you know, if you've been on basketball Twitter long enough, you've seen some pretty funky interpretations that have nothing to do with the rule itself. Um, and switching the pivot foot can be one of those in that a lot of people feel like if you have established your pivot foot, let's say it's your right foot, and then you place your left foot on the floor and lift your pivot foot and stand on your left foot, that you've switched your pivot foot and that should be a violation. Well, no, by rule that's legal. You're allowed to lift your pivot foot. You just cannot return it to the floor before a pass or a shot. All right. So why would, why would switching a pivot foot, why would that be a violation when it's actually the rule is black and white, clear as day. This is a, this is a legal play for you to lift your pivot foot and not return it to the floor before a pass or a shot. So a lot of people feel like that's switching the pivot foot when they lift a pivot foot and stand on the other foot. Well, no, that's not, that's, that's an interpretation that somebody just made up for whatever reason. And now it's done a lot of damage to actually trying to explain and, and to people where they can comprehend the traveling rule because they'll just say, no, he switched the pivot foot or, you know, no, she switched the pivot foot. Well, by rule, they're allowed to do what you just said, whether you want to call it switch the pivot foot or not, that it's legal. So I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so those, those type terminology, the, the reason it's detrimental to understanding the, the rule is because sometimes it flies in the face of what the actual rule says and the words on the page say. And so that would be one of the reasons why I would say using, you know, taking words like shuffling your pivot foot or stuff like that out of, voca or out of vocabulary. It's just not specific enough, right? I mean, it's not specific right. enough. Even if it wasn't in the rule book, it's not specific enough to explain to not only an official, but to anyone what actually may or may not have happened in a game. And so then we get all these different interpretations of when I say that it could mean completely different thing to someone else than it does to me. Well, and that's that you bring up a great point because I think maybe what you might have talked, might be talking about a little bit is there's certain times where people use phrases that actually can help people understand the rule. Um, one of those would be they slid the pivot foot. Okay. Switch, it's, switch the pivot foot can, can be a big detriment to that, uh, to people understanding the rule. Slid the pivot foot is a short way of saying, um, is, is a short way of referencing rule 433 in the NFHS rule book. And rule 433 is the rule that it defines the pivot. Okay. It's a, you know, in that rule, it states that, you know, for someone to pivot, they can step, you know, one or more times with the same foot while the other foot that remains in its point of contact with the floor is the pivot foot, right? So as long as it stays in its point of contact with the floor, then you can pivot as much as you want, right? But when we say slid the pivot, they, he or she slid the pivot foot, that means it did not remain in its point of contact of the floor. So it's sometimes it's easier to understand, but you just got to be careful on which ter which terminology you use. You know, slid the pivot foot is, is I guess it's okay to use, but people need to know the why behind it. You know, sure. why why is sliding the pivot foot illegal? Well, because their pivot foot needs to remain in its point of contact with the floor. So that means as soon as it touches the floor, it needs to and they start pivoting with the other foot then that pivot foot needs to remain in its point of contact with the floor. If it is lifted or if it slides to a different point of contact on the floor, then that's going to be a traveling violation. They've, they've moved their feet in the excess amount of times permitted by the traveling rule. I was going to get into this one a little bit later, but we're on that topic. So we'll keep it. Okay. So if you're pivoting and that pivot foot and the, the, 
the heel comes off and then the heel goes back down and the toe comes up and any of any of that movement but there's still a point of contact on the floor are we still good there or how does that work we're still good if it's in it when it's in the point of contact with the floor so where their foot is right if they're pivoting on their heel and stuff like that as long as it remains in its point of contact with the floor if they go up on their toe to pivot because you see that a lot too i'm not going to as, as long as a part of their foot remains in point of contact with the floor then it's legal you know and there's even certain times and maybe i'm going to get bashed for saying this um but there's certain times when and i'm not saying for officials that are listening to this i'm not saying don't call the rules as written because you know there's no bigger advocate of calling the rules is written than I. You no know, bigger but, advocate than I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Call the rules is written. But I will say this, there are certain situations where if if a player's got their back to the basket and their their pivot foot slides a little, you know, to the left or to the right, and I'm talking about, you know, just not even an inch, you know what I mean? Or just a little bit. You don't want to over-officiate, all right? If there's no clear advantage gained by that, you don't need to call that, you know? That's just looking for stuff. Um, now, obviously, if you see it, you do have an obligation as an official to call it. So I'm not saying don't call it, but it's one of those things where you can, if you see if you see something where it's just that minimal and, and they don't gain any significant advantage at all, then, you know, we want skilled moves in our game, right? We want to have skilled moves in our game. So if somebody's going on a finishing move and that pivot foot, I mean, maybe just moves like half an inch off its point of contact with the floor. I'm not saying lifted, but maybe slides to the right a little bit and they don't gain a clear advantage. We want these skilled moves in our game. We don't want to take those out of our game. Don't over-officiate or penalize things that, that don't need to be called. So I would say that. Now, with that said, if a player, you know, if you're a coach and you're talking to your team, you're saying, hey, if, if you're ever in a position where you're pivoting, say I'm pivoting off of my left foot and you feel like you're losing your balance and that left foot is going to slide, well, ju just lift the foot off the floor, correct? Because the rules are it's not a travel until it hits the floor, right? I have to release with a pass or with a shot. So I'm, I'm better off actually lifting it and then getting something done than actually putting it back down, right? You know what's weird is I actually haven't heard somebody characterize it like that in quite some time. And you're absolutely right. Now it depends. Have you already terminated your like it depends on if you've already terminated your dribble or you've started it. So for instance, if you've if you've caught the ball and you've established your right foot as the pivot foot and you've been pivoting with your left foot, right? And you're starting to to feel that right foot slip and starting to move, then absolutely go ahead and plant that left foot, raise your pivot foot off the ground. You can stand there for as long as you want. I mean, there's no shot clock in high school. So if you're in high school, you can stand there until somebody knocks it out of your hand, fouls you or your other foot. If you've got great balance, stand there as long as you want. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't have incredible <laughs> balance. So I would last probably three seconds on that left foot, but you can stand there with your pivot foot lifted off the floor and that's legal. However, you cannot start a dribble, all right? So if you have yet to dribble yet, you've caught the pass, you've established your right foot as your pivot foot, you're slipping your, your, your right foot's about to slip, so you plant that left foot and lift your pivot foot and stand on your left foot. Just make absolutely sure that that foot doesn't come down to the floor before you pass or shoot, 
or that you do not start your dribble. If you start your dribble, it's an immediate traveling violation for releasing the ball for a dribble after lifting your pivot foot. Yep, yep, that's in traveling rule. So it's for NFHS rule 444-3C, I believe. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think it's, you know, it, when you understand the rules a little bit there, you're like, no, we can actually do a little bit more than we probably thought we could if, That's if a great point. We're, we're doing that. Next question is, if a player catches the basketball on one foot, and we've talked about this here and there, if a player catches the ball and they have a foot on the floor already, that foot leaves the floor, so now both feet are off the floor, and then both feet hit at the same time. Is that a travel? No. If you have ended, or if you've, uh, you're saying they caught the pass with one foot on the floor? I The situation that I'm talking about primarily, so I'll paint a quick picture. I'm on the three-point line on the wing. You drive the, the gap, the slot at the top of the key, and, and you kick it to me on the wing. And I'm standing there, and maybe I'm stepping in, but for whatever reason, as I'm stepping in, my left foot is forward, and that's the one on the floor. My right foot is off the floor. I've caught it. And then after I've caught the ball, both feet come off the floor. I shoot in what you would call shooting off of a hop. They hit the floor, and then I pop up and take the shot. All right, so you've caught the ball with one foot on the floor. You've jumped off, or you've kind of, jumped off that left foot and landed simultaneously with both feet? Yes. Legal play. Legal play. And, and it's what I'll refer to is, and this happens with a dribble too, all right? So take, take this as well. This can be used in finishing moves. Um, if you catch the ball, whether it's a pass from a teammate or end your dribble, because we classify that as a catch. When you end your dribble, you've caught the ball, whether it's one hand, come to rest in one hand, or if you've touched it with both hands. If you injure dribble or you catch a pass with one foot on the floor, all right, and you jump off that one foot and land simultaneously in the legal jump stop, right, then neither foot can be a pivot foot. This is right? so key. This is so key for us. This so is, I'm excited yeah. for you to keep explaining this because this is where I planned on taking this, okay, because this good, is good. off the dribble or off the catch. We're getting into one foot off the floor, now two feet. And we cannot, because we already had, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, this is, I'm selfish here. I, one of the reasons no, I got you on here is because I, I can pick your brain, <laughs> you know, for an hour. So I got the basketball. I have one foot on the floor. And now I've lifted that foot. Both have hit the floor. I can shoot it. I can pass it. I cannot pivot. Explain why. All right, here's why, is we're going to go back to rule 433, okay? And so I'm going to read it verbatim for you guys. I actually have it memorized, but I'll read it just to make sure I don't mess it up. Here's the definition of a pivot. So keep in mind, in this situation that, that Steve just described, you've caught the ball with one foot, you've jumped off that foot, landed simultaneously on both in a legal jump stop. That is legal, all right? In this situation, by rule, neither foot can be a pivot foot. So you cannot pivot. And here's why, because definition of a pivot is, as I mentioned before, it takes place when a player who is holding the ball steps once or more than once in any direction with the same foot, while the other foot called the pivot foot is kept at its point of contact with the floor. The reason you can't pivot is because you're no longer allowed a pivot foot, all right? Neither foot can be a pivot foot. 
you've already lost pivot privileges, right? You've, you've caught the ball with one foot on the floor. You've jumped off that foot, landed simultaneously on both. Neither foot can be a pivot foot. But there's good news because you can still lift one or both feet, one or both feet by rule, as long as neither foot returns to the floor before a pass or a shot. All right? That's what you can do with it. Off of one foot into a legal two-step jump stop, you can lift one foot, and as long as it's not returned to the floor before a pass or a shot, legal. And that is going to t we're gonna, that's going to take us to rule 444. We're back to the traveling rule, okay? That's going to take us to um, article four of rule 444, all right? After coming to a stop when neither foot can be a pivot, one or both feet may be lifted but may not be returned to the floor before the ball is released on a pass or a try for goal. It is clear as day, as simple as that. One or both feet may be lifted. You, there's a common misconception out there. You see this a lot in the post, right? This common misconception, switching the pivot foot is one of them. Another one of them is if you've, after a legal jump stop, you have to jump off two feet to shoot. Have you heard that one before? People have said you have Absolutely. to jump off two, you have to jump off two feet to shoot. Well, that's just false. I mean, because right here is clear as day. After coming to a stop when neither foot can be a pivot, one or both feet may be lifted, but may not be returned to the floor before the ball is released on a pass or a, a try for goal. And here's how we know that neither foot can be a pivot foot. I've already explained it to you, but let's actually give the correct verbiage that's used in the traveling rule. All right, so we're going to go to Article 2 of Rule 444. A player who catches the ball while moving or dribbling may stop and establish a pivot foot as follows. If one foot is on the floor, it is a pivot when the other foot touches in a step, or the player may jump off that foot. This is what we're talking about. So if one foot is on the floor when they catch or end their dribble um, or, or catch a pass, that player may jump off that foot and simultaneously land on both. Neither foot can be a pivot foot in this case, end quote. So whenever you see neither foot can be a pivot foot in this case, you go straight to rule 444-4A, and it says after coming to a stop when neither foot can be a pivot, one or both feet may be lifted, but may not be returned to the floor before the ball is released on a pass or a try for goal. And that so that's, is why that's it clear. is legal. That's clear. Very clear. But one down. one thing that you didn't mention that I want to know is, so if I'm on the three-point line again, you kicked it out to me. I caught it on one foot. Then that foot lifted. Both feet hit the floor at the same time. And then I dribble. What is that situation? All right. So – Here's the, here's the deal with that. So you're talking about catching a pass, right? So catching a pass with one foot on the floor, I'm processing this as you say it, jumping off that foot. Um, neither foot can be a pivot foot in this case. You're not allowed to, remember, let's go back to, um, let's go back to rule 444.3, all right? A pivot foot may not be lifted when, or, or on a, or before the release of a dribble, okay? So pivot foot may not be lifted before the release of a dribble. If you begin your dribble after you've lost pivot privileges, then you've committed a traveling violation, okay? So after you've come to that jump stop, so you've caught a pass with one foot on the floor, you've jumped off that foot, landed simultaneously on both feet, you're allowed to lift one or both feet for the purposes of shooting or passing, all right? So here, let me just read you the exact rule. Um, after coming, this is back to Article 4. You ready? Article 4, and this is B. So after coming to a stop when neither foot can be a pivot, 
neither foot may be lifted before the ball is released to start a dribble. It's right there. So article or rule 444-4, article B, neither foot may be lifted before the ball is released to start a dribble. If you do uh, that, I'm one not getting feet, picky, but yeah. if I if I if I dribble the ball and it's hitting the floor, even if I've dribbled it a couple times, well then can I start moving? So you've talked about oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, because because let's go to um, let's go to in the NFHS rule book. At the end of the rule book, there's a section called Basketball Rules Fundamentals. We're going to go to number six. Okay, so Basketball Rule Fundamentals, number six, you cannot travel during a dribble. Okay, if you've started that dribble and it's released from your hand, then there's no opportunity for us to identify a pivot foot at that point because you can't travel during the dribble. The only way we're able to identify a pivot foot is when the dribble has ended. I, we're talking about with a dribbler, not on a pass, right? So if a player's dribbling, you can't travel during a dribble. It's rule. It's number six under basketball rule fundamentals. All right, can't travel during a dribble. The dribble has to end for us to identify a pivot foot. So not all, this is why, in my opinion, the traveling rule and the traveling violation is one of the toughest plays in the game to officiate. And we talked about how block charge was another one of them. Those two right there are some of the toughest because. You have to, as an official, you have to train your mind and your eyes to simultaneously identify the end of a dribble and the pivot foot at the same time. There's always going to be that little gap there, you know, that little margin where you're, you're, you might miss some stuff. You know what I mean? Hopefully we can, as, as officials, we watch a ton of plays, all right? I, re I review a ton of film. And the more you see traveling plays happen and the, the more you see different moves that happen, the more film you watch, the more you can train your mind and your eyes to see both at the same time or, or close enough. You just close that gap um, between, you know, identifying the end of the dribble and identifying the pivot foot. But we cannot identify the pivot foot, which we know, we mentioned at the start of the show, is the, the one thing that determines whether you've traveled or not is the pivot foot. We can't, ID, we can't identify the pivot until we've identified the end of a dribble because you cannot, by rule, travel during a dribble. So let's rewind this and similar situation, but again, another one that we've talked to, I'm spotting up on the perimeter. I have both feet on the floor. I've caught the ball. Then again, I'm shooting off the hop and I, I see this all the time. And so, and I know a lot of other coaches have too, especially with the players that prefer to shoot off the hop and I'm not going to talk about you should shoot off a step or a hop or yeah so I'm just want to talk, like just from a rule standpoint if I catch the basketball both feet are on the floor both feet lift they both feet hit at the same time so I'm shooting off of that that hop have I traveled doing that action this is going to be a very controversial portion of your show and here's the <laughs> and here's the reason why the, the traveling rule in NFHS or NCAA, for that matter, does not expressly define whether or not you can jump off both feet and land on both feet, all right? So you're saying it, it, this is or, not the PG version of well, so here's, a here's traveling the podcast. Exactly, right? So here's the deal. It's not addressed directly. If you catch the ball with both feet on the floor, we know, based on Article 2 of the traveling rule in, in, in NFHS, a player who catches, or excuse me, Article 1, 
A player who catches the ball with both feet on the floor may pivot using either foot. When one foot is lifted, the other foot is the pivot foot. Well, in your situation, both feet were lifted at the same time. So some would say, how can you identify a pivot foot? Right? But on the flip side, you have to think too, certain things may not be in the rules expressly. You know, they may not be addressing this specific issue, but you have to know the intent of the rules and this is where interpretation comes in. All right, you have to piece some rules together. And you're, I promise you, if you go down this rabbit hole, you're not gonna come to satisfactory answer if you feel strongly that one way is right and the other way is wrong, all right? So I'm just gonna get that disclaimer out there. Um, if you're, if, if, unless you're seeking to truly try to understand the interpretation and you ask different college assigners and, and, and higher ups and officiating, you know, you'll get a better answer of what they want, all right? But this, it, it would be a traveling violation to leave both feet after the catch, all right? So you catch a pass on both feet, all right? We know by article one of the traveling rule, a player who catches the ball with both feet on the floor um, can pivot, all right? But when one foot is lifted, the other foot is a pivot foot. So, so here's how I've heard it interpreted um, by assigners, is when both feet are lifted off the floor, even if it's the smallest of hops, all right? Then when one foot is lifted, we know the other foot is a pivot foot. In this situation, both feet were lifted. We don't know which one, of the pivot, which one of those feet is the pivot foot, but we know one of them is. Does that make sense? Because by rule, a player who catches the ball with both feet on the floor, when one foot is lifted, the other foot is the pivot foot. Well, one foot was lifted, all right? So the other one has to be the pivot foot. We don't know which one it is, but when both of those come back down, we know a pivot foot was lifted and returned to the floor. So it's, it's, a, it's a part of the rule that I wish that they would clarify um, because then you, can go to, um, then you can go to article three. If a player jumps, neither foot may be returned to the floor before the ball is released on a pass or try for goal. All right, so if a player jumps, now this is after coming to a stop and establishing a pivot foot, mind you, because that's what rule 444.3 addresses is after coming to a stop and establishing a pivot foot. Well, we don't know which one's the pivot foot, but we know one of them has to be, all right? So both feet were lifted and both feet were returned to the floor. That's us classifying a player jumping. A player jumped, neither foot may be returned to the floor before the ball is released on a pass or a try for goal. So that's why it would be a traveling violation. I think that you haven't seen this situation. You know, any time it's under the basket, it's always getting called. But always when it's a three-point shot, and it's just that slight lift where both players, because so many players, you know, 20 years ago, there weren't as many people, I don't think, shooting off of a hop. Now it's a lot more common. Well, yeah, players now sometimes will catch it and then get into the hop. And I'm like, well, if you can do that at the three-point line, what, what would differentiate that from me being at the block and jumping three feet in the air and then landing again and then exactly. going up and shooting it a second time? So I know I'm being, I know I'm being picky, um, but – I feel like no, I, I see like that, that a lot and it's not called. Well, and you see it a lot. And you and I talked about this offline. You see a lot in women's basketball, you know, kind of that two foot. Now here's the thing. Some would argue, and a lot of officials argue this, um, that you rarely see somebody do this move or do that where both feet come off the floor at the same time and both foot simultaneously land. They say it's nearly impossible because nobody really does a shooter's hop in place they usually are directional with it. Does that make sense? 
So when somebody does a shooter stop, they may catch the ball with both feet on the floor and then kind of push off both feet to the right or to the left or back and then try to land simultaneously. Well, when you do a directional push off, either one foot's going to come up first. So some's gonna, some people are going to argue this way, right? Either some or one foot is going to come up first or if you jump, one foot's going to land before the other one does and be a staggered landing, even if it's the smallest of staggered landings mm-hmm. or staggered jump. So, so they, they say if you're jumping directionally, it's, it's nearly impossible. You rarely see somebody legitimately jump off two feet simultaneously and land on both feet simultaneously. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah, um, I feel like I've seen it a handful of times. but I know, again, right? I, mean, we've I, all I seen... feel like I have too. <laughs> yep, yep. yep. No, that's good. That's good stuff. Well, I'm glad we, we talked about that as well. Thanks again for listening to part one of two on our episode on traveling with official Chip Clark. It's great to have a high school and college certified official on the show to break down the game, make sure that we're giving our team, our players, the very best chance to be successful by gaining a better understanding of the rules and traveling is one of those misunderstood rules. Certain situations, man, I've heard many different reasons for why something is or isn't a travel. Let's get back to the rule book understand the terminology that can be successful, and now we can get better. So thanks for listening to our show. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, leave a a rating, a positive review. goes a really long way as we continue to build out the Coach's Edge. Thanks again, and get after it today.